You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Tracy Turner, no relation to Tina Turner or Tracy Turnblad, Tracy Turner is addicted to porn. Or so he says, which is why he couldn't make himself available to the police when they showed up wanting to talk to him. He wasn't gooning in front of his laptop when the police arrived. He was off in porn rehab. It was only after Turner got out of porn rehab and came home that the police could finally ask him about the minor he had allegedly been molesting. If you consume nothing but right-wing media, and God help you if that's the case, you might think with the minimal facts I've introduced into evidence here about Tracy Turner, that Tracy must be one of those drag queens out there grooming children. For the last year, right-wing media has been all groomer all the time. It's a concerted, coordinated effort to revive the gays recruit kids blood libel. Used to mean seducing kids into the homosexual lifestyle. Right-wingers now insist that just by being out, just by being visible, Gays and lesbians, queers are grooming children. This has been coming from anonymous haters on the internet to elected officials in governor's mansions. And these people are obsessed with drag queens, particularly with drag queen story hours in public libraries, where kids are not left alone. They aren't unsupervised, not like kids at churches. Tracy Turner worked at a church, not a drag club. He was a pastor not a queen, a Southern Baptist, pastor at the Trinity Point East Church in Easley, South Carolina. And unlike every drag queen who has performed at a drag queen story hour, Turner is under arrest for raping a child, allegedly. And Turner is just one of the many, 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 many pastors and youth pastors and priests and bishops and church officials who have been arrested for child rape. If kids got raped by clowns as often as they get raped by preachers, it would be against the law to take your child to the circus. But if you're following only right-wing meme slash hate Twitter, you would think the gravest threat to your kids? Drag queens. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, last week announced that he was planning to order his Department of Child Protective Services to investigate parents who take their kids to drag queen story hour events. You know... It's almost like they want you to be afraid of drag and afraid of queer people who don't present a risk to your kids and not afraid of rapey preachers who do. If I was the conspiracy-minded type, I might say it looks like, or I might say they actually are, actively running interference for child rapists who are up on the altar, not up on the runway. In Idaho, this weekend, the police arrested 31 members of Patriot Front, a violent white nationalist organization who were on their way to a family pride celebration in a park. They were going there, masked, with the intent to riot. That is, to attack the families at that kid-friendly daytime pride celebration. In Alameda, California, this weekend, a group of Proud Boys barged into a drag queen story hour at a public library, screaming at the parents and terrorizing the children. They want people to think kids aren't safe at pride events or drag queen story hours, so they're showing up at pride events and drag queen story hours to threaten kids. Zooming out for a second, I don't know why we suddenly started having drag queen events for kids. I'm old enough to remember when seeing drag queens lining up for the pride parade at 10 a.m. was startling. Drag queens were nocturnal. They came out after dark, like the stars or raccoons. But over the last decade or so, since shortly after RuPaul's Drag Race premiered in 2009, we've been experiencing something of a drag boom. We have more drag queens now than we know what to do with. We used to have drag shows and gay bars at night. Then with so many new drag queens coming online every day, drag bingo, then drag brunches, drag cruises, drag cons, more and more drag races, so many drag races. And now drag brunches, drag queen story hours, which is fine. Now, it should be said, and I am happy to say it, not all drag shows, not all drag performers are appropriate for kids, just like not all TV shows are appropriate for kids. Not all animated movies are appropriate for kids. Not all dinner party conversations are appropriate for kids. 
I wouldn't watch Ozark with an eight-year-old or South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. Wouldn't watch that with a child. And I wouldn't want a kid at the dinner table when the adults were talking about sex or drugs or mass shootings. But certain kinds of drag shows and certain kinds of drag queens, fine for kids. The mainstreaming of drag didn't start with RuPaul. Every female character Shakespeare created, Lady Macbeth, Portia, Rosalind, Kate, all written for male performers. Men in dresses played Juliet, Cleopatra, Desdemona. I wouldn't date the mainstreaming of drag to 1594 when Romeo and Juliet premiered in London. I would date it to 1989 when The Little Mermaid premiered. That Disney film featured a character, Ursula, one in a long line of queer-coded Disney villains. Ursula was modeled on a real-life drag queen named Divine, who starred in John Waters' trash camp classics Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Polyester, and Hairspray. Kids understand what dress-up is, what playing pretend is. Kids also like outrageous, over-the-top, campy performers. When kids see a drag queen, they don't see an advertisement for gender reassignment surgery or anal sex. They see a fun and friendly clown. Which is ironic, because a clown is what I see when I look at Ron DeSantis. But a dangerous clown. A Pennywise, not a bozo. A John Wayne Gacy, not a Ronald McDonald. And assuming DeSantis doesn't have blood on his hands already, he will soon. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the Magnum, actor and author Ryan O'Connell, star of Special on Netflix and one of the stars of the new Queerest Folk reboot, joins me. We talk about sex, disabilities, fetishizing disability, and who thought up come spring up first, me or him. To hear that convo, you're going to need to subscribe to the Magnum Lovecast, which you can do at savage.love. And hey, everybody, I just wanted to jump in here and add that we are throwing a Magnum fire sale. If you want to try out the Magnum, both the six-month and the year-long subscriptions are half off for the rest of June, sort of to celebrate Pride and to give you all a chance to try it out. Just go to savage.love, and when you sign up for the Magnum, enter the promo code SAVAGEPRIDE2022. On with the show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever having to leave the house. Go to framebridge.com and use the promo code SAVAGE to save an additional 15% off your first order. Me Undies makes feel good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to meundies.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. This is a person in the blue part of the South. I'm 44 by male. My partner is a 33 by female. We've been in a relationship and living together for uh, almost two years. She wants me to be myself. She wants me to do the things that I want to do in the moments of our relationship or in terms of sex. I tend to be dominant. She tends to be submissive. And she wants me to just do the things that I want. My experience has been, because I've been in the kink community for a long time, that consent and negotiation are always so paramount. We have safe words. We know that she will stop in the moment. But I think really at heart, the issue is that most of my relationships, I have worried so much about making sure that I give pleasure to my partners, that I'm there for them. And I kind of have lost touch with what I genuinely want on my own. And I'm trying to figure out how to figure that out again. You know, as a person who's a full-blown adult, I, you know, I've always said that my biggest kink is my partner's kink, whatever my partner is into is the thing that I most want to do. And I think that what she is asking and what I am truly unable to answer is absent of a partner, what are the things that I want to do the most? What are the things that I 
desire the most. So I'm just trying to navigate that and figure out what it is that I want as a person who has focused so much on my partner's wants and desires for so long and literally turned that into sort of my fetish. So all these years you've been involved in the kink scene, you've identified and functioned as a service top. It was about meeting the bottom's needs, playing the role that that bottom that you were with wanted you to play. And now you're with somebody who wants it to be a little edgier, who wants to feel a little bit more like in the moment with you, armed with safe words where they can stop things that aren't working for them, that it's a bit more of a bungee jump, that they don't know what's going to come next, that it's not so scripted. That is possible. I mean, you have to get in touch with what it is that turns you on. I imagine when you don't have a partner, you masturbate, you think about things, you fantasize about things, uh, that before you got involved in the kink scene, you were watching kink porn or reading kink erotica. And not a lot of kink erotica is framed around the idea of being a service top and figuring out just what the bottom wants and hitting those marks. So maybe you just need to project yourself back into your life a decade or two or three when you were first realizing who you were and what you wanted and what turned you on and what you were masturbating about and get back in touch with that. And I can't tell you what those things are. That said, however, you're still going to have to engage in a process of negotiation with your partner about their hard limits, about things that as a sub they might be willing to endure for the pleasure of their top, even if they aren't necessarily things that they like or enjoy, but can tolerate and can tap into the pleasure of giving you that pleasure as a sub or a masochist, you're still going to have to have those kinds of broad negotiations. My follow-up question to you would be, how experienced is your current partner as a sub? Some people who have submissive desires, have shame about those submissive desires, have a hard time expressing what it is that they want and they turn to their top who they trust and say, I don't want to articulate these things. I just want you to guess. That's not for a lot of tops something that works. It is perilous and it is not quite crazy making, but it can make the top feel, you know, insecure and, and worried that they're going to guess wrong because the chances that you might guess wrong absent information and negotiation are pretty high. And, you know, if you're a decent, kind person and still a top, it can be traumatizing. You know it can be traumatizing to do something to someone who's in subspace, you know, who is submissive, that really doesn't work for them. You know, this is tricky, varsity-level sex play. And if you're not an asshole and yet you're also a top or a dom or a sadist, you want to make sure that while you're doing these things, you're not inflicting trauma on someone. And the only way to make sure of that is to negotiate, 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 negotiate. And then after those negotiations, when you know what the marks are, they might like you to hit, you can find room to play in the margins and the edges pushing the envelope, it's often called, where you're not taking, you know, a giant leap, but a little baby step to push them maybe outside their comfort zone while they have the safe word, you know, in their head that they can deploy at any time if something really isn't working for them suddenly. But if what your partner wants is for you to guess because they're having a hard time articulating what it is that they want, that's not somebody that you can safely play with, that you're going to feel safe playing with as a top. Somebody in a BDSM context doing something, you know, crazy or what they really wanted to do and the sub just has to go along, that can traumatize a sub. But you know what? People don't talk about this a lot. It can traumatize a top in the moment to realize that the hurt you've inflicted or the pain that you've caused is an erotic, that is just hurt and pain and trauma and not theatrical subjugation, as John McWhorter called it on the show. And that's not fair for a sub to ask a dom to take those kinds of risks, not just with the sub's emotions, but with the top's own emotions. Hi there, tech savvy, at-risk youth. 
After years of monogamy, my husband and I finally agreed to play with others. We used our words. We talked about it. We have rules. Before anybody gets all judgy, we're both fully vaccinated and been mask wearing, social distancing like everybody else who lives in Washington until two weeks ago when I got a grinder account, hung out our flag, and bam, the boys responded. More options than any reasonable couple could expect, at least for us. I mean, we're neither gin bunnies nor attractive. We're too old to be trinks, too young to be daddies. So as tribalist gay men, I was kind of thinking like nobody would want to fuck us. Turns out a whole bunch of boys want to fuck us. All of this is great until we actually tried to have a threesome. Um, my husband, who has been dead set against this for years, took to fucking other boys like it was cake. I cannot even get an erection, which has never been a problem until today. What the fuck is wrong with me? I wanted this. I mean, I've wanted this for years. And I waited. I patiently, gently encouraged. I asked. We talked. Now that I have it, my dick won't play. I'm not jealous. I'm not nervous. I don't have body issue hangups. I talk so much about this to my partner and our new friends, all three of them, um, I can't interrogate what's going on in my head anymore. The boys are hot, not out of our league hot, you know, just average dude body types like ours on paper. Well, grinder chat, we should be perfectly compatible, similar kinks, similar views, into the same things, yet I'm not into it. My partner is great. Our sex life is great. I know from listening and reading over the years what we have, everyone wants. If I ask it to go back to being a monogamist, he would in a heartbeat, but I don't want that. I want to I wanna have threesomes. I want to fuck around with other boys, but I can't get in the game. So what do I do? What the fuck do you mean that you are not attractive? I mean, okay, okay. You, right, you, yeah, you so wait. No, 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 stop. No, I'm not, no, I'm not done scolding <laughs> you yet. You tell me that you and your boyfriend get on Grinder. You say you're not gym bunnies, not old enough to be daddies, young enough to be twinks. Then you say we are not attractive. And yet you have a pile of responses from guys who are interested in fucking the two of you, which is all the proof you need that you are indeed attractive. I mean, I think everybody got a little less attractive during COVID. So personally, like I, I have a belly. I've never had one of those before. It's a little bit of a, you know, thing for me. So, you know what I mean? Like I said, we're not ripped. We're not buff. But I mean, I mean, obviously, yes, you're right. We're, we're cute enough. I'm adorable okay, okay. and fun. You can't um, be those gay guys you know. who complain about sort of gay beauty standards, impossible to realize body standards who then run themselves down for not living up to those body standards when indeed belly, no belly, you're attractive and people are into you. Maybe some people are into you not despite the belly because of the belly. Bellies are attractive for some men. These beauty myths and standards, they only have the power we give them, which is why I wanted to open this call, getting you on the phone with a little bit of pushback against this not attractive shit when you literally have all the proof you need you are attractive. You're, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. Like I am, I mean, we are as a couple, we are a, a commodity on grinder. I mean, that is a thing. Like I get blown up way more than what we could ever possibly, you know, play around with. So I do, I do hear you and I will keep my mouth shut and not be a one. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want <laughs> you to keep your mouth shut. I want, I mean, you, know, you know. heard me. I want to hear you. I want to hear you say we're attractive. We are attractive. Okay, moving on. One threesome? Are we talking about okay. one threesome here? Uh, n no, we've had more than one. <laughs> and this has been a problem each time? You haven't gotten your dick to come out to play? Can't get in the game each time? No, no. Okay. All right. So, like, the first guy, like, definitely came out to play. And uh, honestly, um, I think we 86'd him um, <laughs> because... He was a little too into me and uh, I was a little too into him for my partner's comfort level, which is totally a valid thing and one of our rules. And anytime any one of us kind of gets that feeling that like one of us could catch feelings, it's, it's kind of an over thing and we just move on. And so, you know, the first guy was great. Everything was awesome. And since then, I just have not been able to. And we've tried. I mean, I've tried. How many times are we talking about here? Um, so thus far, five five boys and one couple. So and each seven, time except for the first men. time each time you haven't been able to get it up. Right, right. Okay. I don't know what's going on. You know, we cut me off from sex, we edged me, we made the rule where if my dick doesn't come out to play, the sex still happens. I mean, mm -hmm. um it just 
I don't know. So I've talked to everybody. And like I said, I, I listened to your podcast for a long time. I mean, literally, Dan, I'm 34. When Kit and I first got together, I was 17. Wow. We're still not married. I mean, I, I just don't know what, I don't know what to do. I don't know if it's anxiety. I don't know if it's like pressure. I don't know if I'm not really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into these boys on a, you know, mental level, but then physically it's just not happening. And my, my husband thinks it's a partner. He thinks it's, um, you know, like cognitive dissonance, like the idea of hooking up with threesome sounds cooler than what the what I actually find the practicality of doing that. Mm -hmm. And I really don't feel like that's the case. You know, we don't play, we only play together. We don't play separately. So I don't know at this point in time, I don't know what else I can do. Okay. Let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. Yeah. You can get it up when you masturbate, right? Yes. And when it's just the two of us, yes. And when it's just the two of you. Okay. So there's some anxiety attached to bringing a third person into your sexual connection. And maybe it was, you know, catching mild feelings or having a mild crush on your very first three-way partner, which I wouldn't think is a problem. I like it when people who are having sex with each other like each other just because you really like somebody or you're really into them. Um, that can be a problem if it feels disproportionate. If it's clear that person is more into one person than the other person in a long-established couple, that can arouse jealousy that poisons a three-way and makes it impossible. It's a really good idea if you are the third and you're more into one person than the other person that you shouldn't have to lie or dissemble, but that you compensate for that in some way. That I guess I'm saying lie. You have to cover that up a little bit if you want to keep having those threesomes or you will be shown the door as this guy was shown the door, right? But if you can get it up alone and you can get it up when it's just you and your boyfriend, what you need to do if you want to keep having these three ways is find the bridge that makes the three way feel a bit more like you're alone or like it's just you and your boyfriend. Now, when you and your boyfriend are having a very special guest star over, what's on the menu? Everything? Full intercourse, oral sex? What's on the menu? Um, I'm, I mean, typically speaking, like the first time is just like, you know, meet and greet. We'll probably, you know, get high, maybe have a few drinks, see if there's chemistry there. When you masturbate and have sex with your partner, your long-term partner, do you get high and have a few drinks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So I it's mean, not, not... Not every time. Not every single time. Just, you know, mo like I'm I'm a giant stoner, not not much of a drinker, but I, I mean, I'm, I've been a stoner since I was a kid. So mm. lots, lots of pot smoking. I mean... You know, it's one of the benefits of living in Washington. Okay, you might want to experiment there. The next time you have a three-way, let them have a drink. If they want to have a drink, let them get high. If they want to get high, you don't. See if that doesn't help. Like, you're going to have to okay. do some little experiments here. Also, when your boyfriend, your long-term partner, gets with other guys, what are they doing? Fucking? It varies from person to person. I mean, you know, we don't go into these situations with like expectations or a preset game plan. Like, yeah, there's dirty talk, but, but everything's but, on like, the menu. You're not... That's what I, that's what I cleared out. Everything's on the menu. Yes, everything's possible. Yes, I mean, everything is theoretically possible. Yes. All right. So here's what you're going to do. The next time you have a three way, you make it clear to that person that their first time with you guys, you two, you and your boyfriend, are going to have sex, and they're there to roll around, play around, and assist. And that doesn't mean it'll only ever be thus with your third or with them, but at least the next couple of times, what you want is someone really more of a voyeur than a participant, right? And you make some baby steps up to including that third person that allows for you to do the things that right now you know work. And you've probably heard me suggest this to other people about different kinds of anxieties around sexual activity, but get a fucking blindfold, and put it on yourself and create a scenario for yourself where somebody else can be in the room and you can kind of forget they're there. Like literally get a voyeur, get someone who does, who wants to watch, not touch and perform for that person okay. you and your boyfriend. And if you need to wear a blindfold or keep your eyes clamped shut so you can forget they're there and just tap into what you know works, you and your boyfriend doing it like you do it, do that. And then what you're going to do is create a new association. You're going to create some you're going to put it in your head that you can be three guys in a room and you can get your dick hard. Dicks are so susceptible to self-fulfilling or self-deflating prophecies. The, the more times you say, my dick won't play, I can't get in the game, the likelier it becomes your dick won't play and you can't get in the game. You, you sound like a, a, a wonderful guy, 
an intense guy and a, a guy who's very much in his head and in his thoughts. And that first three-way you had worked and your dick was there, right? Your dick came out, your dick played, right? Yes. And then yes, the next three-way you had, your dick didn't come out and you've been doom scrolling, basically. You've been prophesying doom ever since. When that sometimes happens... And in a circumstance that's new or novel or much anticipated and desired, the stakes are high. You've wanted to have threesomes. You've wanted to have an open relationship for a very long time. Well, you're, you, you did it. You're the dog that caught the car full of dick. And so you're a little on edge and a little nervous about it. And so you just have to give yourself, it sounds like you're doing this. You have to give yourself permission not to overdetermine that one time when your dick didn't get hard. But what I think what you've been doing is ever since that second time, instead of saying, hey, I'm batting 500, the first time my dick was in the game, everything worked. Second time, eh, not so much. And then shrugging it off, you've been telling yourself in the same way that you told yourself you're not attractive, you've been telling yourself ever since that second time, my dick won't come out to play. I can't get in the game. And what you need to to get in the yeah, game, you I mean, need to get I, out of your head. I completely agree with you that that is the problem that I am completely in my head and you're and you're right this there is a lot on the line here i mean in terms of like you know kit is very much no, pro no 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 there's not a lot on the line there's not a lot on the line here there's the occasional three way on the line here in a relationship that's got legs long term very stable you guys still after all these yeah, years I mean, yes. of a great sexual yes. connection you said you could go back to monogamy tomorrow and your boyfriend would also with you go back to monogamy tomorrow so the stakes are actually low Right, you're not going to wind up dumped in a week if you can't start getting hard ons at these three these optional three ways. Right, so this is about having fun, and you can have fun without a hard on. You say you've allowed yourself that. You can have fun without a hard on. You can be the voyeur sometimes and hang back and watch your boyfriend have fun with somebody else. But the stakes are lower than you're allowing them or, or telling yourself that they are, and that's what you need to do. You need to lower the temperature everywhere. Instead of telling yourself you're not attractive, you are attractive. Instead of telling yourself my dick's not in the game, you tell yourself I'm batting 500. Or if it's been five three ways now, batting two something. I'm very bad at stats and sports metaphors. I need to get my brother on the phone. But you're doing okay. And now what you're going to do with the next three way when you and your boyfriend have another one is you're going to have partnered sex with your boyfriend with somebody else in the room. And Rather than presenting that to that third person as this is a sad tragedy and a demotion and, you know, we can't okay. offer you everything, what you're going to offer is that. And somebody's going to want – someone's going to be very attracted to that prospect. We're a long-term couple. We want to fuck in front of somebody. That's going to attract someone just like you and your belly attracted a whole bunch of people. So put that out there. Have blindfolds at the ready and – let your dick show up. Have a different kind of threesome, a different kind of sexual adventure. And just chill the fuck out. You need to chill the fuck out. That's what you need to do. You need to talk yourself down. Blindfold, chill out. I'll, I'll call and let you know how it goes. And actually, I got somebody lined up for tomorrow, so I'll call you back one day. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Bye, Dan. Bye. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever having to leave the house. Add a gallery wall to your home or office or send the perfect gift. From art prints to diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone, you can FrameBridge just about anything. Just go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. You can then preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay for framing at a frame shop, FrameBridge's prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, listeners of the Savage Lovecast will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when you use my code SAVAGE. Order online at FrameBridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store to work with a designer in person if you're in New York, D.C., Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. We have a wall of famed photographs and mementos in our house, in our kitchen. If you've ever been, you've probably seen it. If you've ever seen our kitchen in a photo of ours on Instagram, you've probably seen 
that photo wall. Been a while since we added to it, but Terry and I sent some pictures we just took of ourselves on a trip to Belgium to Framebridge, had them beautifully framed, and those new photos are up now, looking gorgeous on our photo wall. If you don't have a photo wall to preserve and jar memories, you should, and you can have a beautiful one if you use, like we just did, FrameBridge. Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com and use the promo code SAVAGE to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, use the promo code SAVAGE. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Framebridge.com, promo code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. My husband and I are parents to an 11 year old girl. She and her friends are talking a lot lately about pronouns they prefer, whether they're bi, gay, straight, etc. This is a topic they're talking about a lot, and which is fine. Seems totally appropriate for their age. My main question is how to respond. And here's a scenario, a, a situation that happened. My daughter, her friend, they were sitting in the kitchen. They were chatting. Her friend says that that she's bisexual. They weren't talking to me. My back was to them. I don't know if they were talking intentionally loud enough for me to hear. And I didn't know how to respond. I, I kind of first felt compelled to say, oh, oh, great. Yay. We love you. We love you exactly how you are. But then was I making this a big deal? Is it a big deal? Did I, did I just miss an opportunity? to support our daughter and her friend who who we love and is at our house all the time. What should I say? Because I'm certain this will come up again. And I just want to convey our acceptance and our love to our daughter and her friends in terms of whatever they are, however they want to be, however they feel they are and however they want to be called. But I don't want to make a big deal of it. But please tell me if I should. So your daughter and her friend were having a conversation with each other. They weren't talking with you, but they were talking someplace where you could hear them. So I think as a parent, it would have been within your rights to butt in for a second and say, oh, hey, you guys just want to let you know that we love you, however you are, whatever you are, down with the queers, down with the pronouns. And then mom, I think you need to butt the fuck out and let them have that conversation with each other. It's really important for kids to know that their parents will love and support them or do love and support them. If they're straight, if they're bi, if they're trans, if they're gay, if they're lesbian, if they're some other flavor of queer, whatever their pronouns are. And I think that's something that a parent needs to say to a kid, but also communicate to a kid in other ways. Do you have queer friends and relatives? Are they around? Do you demonstrate, it's important to demonstrate your love and support for queer people, not just with words and checking in with your kids once or twice in their childhood, but through your actions throughout your kid's life. All that said, your daughter was having this conversation with her friend. I think most kids want to be able to talk with their friends in their homes without their parents listening or butting in. But, you know, if your daughter really wants these conversations to be private, maybe not have them in the kitchen when mom is hovering. You know, if it embarrasses your daughter for you to rush in there with words of love and support, well, then they need to take that conversation to her bedroom or to the treehouse in the yard or wherever they can have it privately. But when you overhear these sorts of conversations, I think you should check in with your kid, maybe with your kid alone later, but also in the moment, if you think it's important for that kid to hear, particularly if you don't think that kid gets that kind of affirmation, love, support at home, the kid your kid is talking to, important for that kid to hear that from you as well. But you can jump in, say that, you're likely from 11-year-old girls or 11-year-old non-binary they-thems, get some eye rolls, but important to say it, and then mom, do them the favor of bouncing. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. People call into the show all the time asking how to spice up their relationships or for erotica recommendations. Especially people ask me all the time for content that works for women. 
Dipsy is that content. Dipsy will get you there. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, you'll find it. You'll find your thing at Dipsy. They have stories for straight and queer folks and a diverse variety of voices. You know how I love weddings? I found a couple of stories that feature a woman and a non-binary person hooking up at a wedding, scorching hot. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has a section called The Sensualist, which offers bondage tutorials, one-night stand advice, a history of the clitoris, and a ton more. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner or partners. For listeners of the Savage Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to dipseastories.com slash savage now. Hey, Dan. I love your show. I am a 24-year-old straight female from Chicago, and I have come with a question about my long-term boyfriend. We've been dating for about three years, and I've known since the very beginning that he had two kids that were left in his old home state. Now, at the beginning, he seemed very lovable with his kids, very much missed them, and as the years tapered on, less of a conversation has been happening about them. Now, recently, since we've been together for so long, I've been thinking about having kids with him and realizing I don't know if I can actually have kids with someone who doesn't have a relationship with his past children. I'm kind of in a hard spot because I know it's none of my business what he does with his children, and I'm in no way in a position to tell him you must reconnect with your kids, but I also feel like I do get a say over who I have children with, but I don't know if I'm the asshole now having this conversation, given that I've known for the past three years that he's had these kids and they are in his life, and I'm only really thinking about this now that I'm starting to think about being a mom. Look, if you don't want to go out with your boyfriend anymore, if he's not someone that you can picture yourself making a family with, having children with, having a long-term future with, you should just end this relationship. You leave a lot of details out of your call. How old is your boyfriend? How old are his children? What are the circumstances here? Uh, what led to this estrangement? Are these very young children you're talking about? Are they older children who have a say in whether or not they make time available for their parent who lives in another place and has another girlfriend? Is he in a contentious relationship with his ex? Is it a high conflict relationship? And this led to the estrangement. Did his ex, as sometimes happens, emotionally manipulate his children and help to engineer this estrangement? And he's stepping back now just to give them space, not to force himself on them. There's a lot of nuance potentially in a situation like this. It's not just he abandoned his children and therefore you're nervous about having a child with him. Although it could be that. He could be the sort of callous motherfucker who has kids and walks away from those kids. In which case, you probably shouldn't have been dating him at all. But you're so young. You're 24 years old. You've been with this guy for three years. You've been with this guy potentially since before you could legally buy a beer. And it seems to me that... Most people in your situation don't wind up forever with the person they were dating at age 20 or 21. And if you want out of this relationship or if you're looking at him in a new light because you're thinking about the long term, thinking about children, and so you're seeing him in a different way and you're assessing him as a potential long-term partner now in a way that you didn't before and he doesn't seem like a good candidate – okay, you had a, a good three-year run with this guy and you should end the relationship. And while I think it's true, I think you're right when you say that as his partner now, you don't have a say over whether or not or what kind of relationship he has with, I'm going to quote you here, his past children, his children from a previous relationship. They're not in his past. They exist, these children. He is still their father, you could say to him, you could ask him about this. You could draw him out about this. It may change your feelings or you may see him in a different, different light and another new light. If he opens up to you about the pain 
that he may be experiencing in as a result of this estrangement from his children. Maybe it's not, a t- it doesn't sound like, based on what you said, it's a topic that you two have addressed together, discussed, faced together squarely. So before you make your final ultimate decision about whether to end this relationship, whether he's someone that you would want to have children with or could have children with, I think you should have that first conversation with him about his children, the children he already has, and about why he doesn't seem to have a relationship with them. And who knows, maybe that conversation, the conversation that you're going to initiate might inspire him to reach out to those kids and reestablish his relationship with them. Summer is here, my friends, about time too. I'm an active guy. I love everything about summer except one thing, butt sweat. Butt sweat is the enemy of summer, but I have a secret weapon to defeat it. Your butt sweat and your SO's butt sweat me undies. Me undies is made of a slithery, slippery, breathable fabric that is so soft and so comfortable and is so very much the enemy of butt sweat. I feel cool and everything is under control down there when I'm in my me undies. That is until I see Terry and his me undies boxer briefs. And then, you know, I get a little hot again. From me undies, bralettes and socks to loungewear and swimwear, you can find something for all your summer plans. Their patterns and colors are really fun. And me undies releases new prints all the time, like their limited edition pride collection. You can match with your partner, friends, or even your dog. Find your ultimate summer comfort in sizes extra small to 4XL. MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you'll get 15% off for a limited time. If you sign up for their free-to-join MeUndies membership, you'll get 25% off your first membership item. For 15% off your first order, 25% off your first membership item, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. That's MeUndies.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a woman in my 30s living in the Midwest. I have been with my long-term partner for 10 years this month and, uh, you know, happy, happy pride. My partner is, uh, he identifies as a cis hetero man. So that's, that's fine and good. However, there's plenty of gender queerness going on and I'm not going to pressure him for that. But one of the things that's really, I guess, irking me and also making me confused because I don't know how to help him with this part is um, he his identity as a hetero man while wanting to actively fuck men, whether or not he's sober is the severity of like how much he'll talk about it. But like when he's sober, he will talk about, oh, yeah, I want this dude's cock in my ass. I'm like, OK, well, my friend. <laughs> that you might not be straight, but he is stuck on labels and he feels a little bad about having labels attached to him that aren't hetero. And I just, I I keep wanting to support him, but some of it comes out as super homophobic, which I know that's internalized, but what can I do? What can I do to help him realize that it's, it's okay to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and I feel like he would be so much happier if he could just not make it an issue for himself. Is your boyfriend miserable or are you just annoyed at having to hear from him about all the dick he wants in his ass and then play along with him when he tells you that he's straight, when he insists that he's straight? There are some men out there who have sex with men who do not identify as gay or bi. If you look up a recent monkeypox story, you'll see that expression or that phrase a lot, men who have sex with men. You'll see it sometimes used in conjunction with or right next to gay men, bi men, and men who have sex with men who do not identify as gay or bi. Now, that can be for cultural reasons. There are some people who are homosexual, I guess, in practice, but feel a kind of estrangement from what they perceive to be a uniform kind of gay monoculture or LGBT culture that doesn't speak to them, they don't identify with, but they're still men who have sex with men. Maybe that's your guy, but it doesn't sound like your guy's having sex with men. Your guy just won't shut up about wanting to have sex with men. 
I guess if I was there, I wish I could, you know, watch the tape or hide in the closet and listen to him talk to you about this stuff. Because I'm curious as to whether he's one of those guys like Madison Cawthorn, who's kind of playing gay chicken, really emphasizing how not gay he is by doing kind of coded gay shit. And that's pretty loud gay code there. I want that guy's dick in my ass. Or if he's confiding in you about his same-sex attractions, same-sex desires, if he's asking them for you to turn around and play along when he identifies as a thousand percent straight or completely a hundred percent unalloyed heterosexual, yeah, that would be exhausting. I don't know how you help him with that. You can challenge him on that. Like, you know, for somebody who says he's a hundred percent straight, you talk about having other men's dicks in your ass a lot. And I don't have a problem with that, but give me some help here. What is it that you want me to do when you say that I'm a hundred percent straight? And then the drunker you get, the hornier for cock you are. I am willing to go there. I'm obviously willing to be with a man who has same sex desires, who is heteroflexible, bisexual, maybe not gay. I don't think as a woman, you'd want to be with a closeted gay man, but you're willing to partner with a guy who's a little in the deck, but you don't want to be gaslit about it. You don't want to have to play rhetorical games. So yeah, I guess my advice for you, the best way that you could help him, if indeed you want to help him is to just stop playing along. When he says he's a hundred percent straight, I think at this point you have a right, the right to say, yeah, honey, I don't think so. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some Savage Lovecast listener tweets. Hey, Chris A tweets, I think I listened to Dan's takedown of the sex pest husband in episode 815 about four times. The audacity to whine about not getting laid and want an open relationship when your wife just pushed your baby out of her made me rage. I feel so sorry for that man's wife, as do I, Chris A., as do I. Amanda K. tweets, thank you, Dan, for saying everything I was thinking about the man who was mad that he isn't getting sex five months after his wife gave birth. The whole time I was thinking, pocket pussy, you fucker. If he had given birth and pushed a human out of his penis, he would never want to have sex again. And finally, Andrew Now We Dance tweets, many adult children are living at home right now because they can't find a job that pays them enough to live on their own or find an affordable living place. Just because we live at home doesn't mean we are moochers or lazy. Hey, Andrew, sorry about that. I'm actually a big fan of multi-generational households. I grew up in one. I don't think kids who live at home with their parents are lazy moochers. I was talking about the kids in that call in particular. I called them moochers because even though they live at home with mom, they don't, according to the caller, who will soon be mom's ex-boyfriend, they don't help out. Living at home with your parents and refusing to drive your mom home from a doctor's appointment or just generally help out at all, not just financially help out, but logistically help out, that makes someone who lives at home with their parents a lazy moocher, not just living at home with the parents. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted about the show to social media this week, to your social media accounts. We really appreciate how you all spread the word about the Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. Hi, this is a response for the caller in 815 who was wondering if he should delete his pictures of his ex off of his Instagram. I was in the same boat. I ended a relationship of six years and still had pictures of my ex. And a friend of mine pointed out a very handy feature in Instagram, which is that you can archive pictures. So basically you preserve the pictures on your account. You can go back and look at them, but they're essentially private to the people that follow you. Hello, this is in response to the man who was wondering why his wife didn't want to fuck him after she had given birth. I loved the advice he gave, Dan, and I would just like to add, could it be possible that he could take out the trash, go pick up the groceries, fill the car up with gas, take it for a wash, finish the laundry, vacuum the house? None of these things are going to make your wife want to fuck you, but it does show that you are trustworthy and you are also a part of this relationship, part of the endeavor that you both agreed to, which is parenthood. 
And when she knows that you can be trusted and a little bit is taken off her plate and you are not another chore that is added to her long list, then perhaps she can trust you enough to let those knees fall apart again. Hey, this is a response to the caller wondering if she should go to her closeted college girlfriend's wedding. I totally agree with Dan's advice. And I want to add just a tidbit. Uh, I'm generalizing a bit here, but Persian weddings on average are such an amazing spectacle. They're so fun. Food's going to be good. Music's going to be good. Dancing's going to be good. The vibe's going to be good. Please go. Have a good time. We all need some dancing and good food in our lives after the pandemic. So be a good sport, go enjoy it and let us know how it goes. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Happy Pride, y'all. For the rest of the month, new subscriptions to the Magnum Savage Lovecast are half off. That means you can get a full year of extra-long ad-free episodes of the Savage Lovecast for under 20 bucks. Become a Magnum subscriber today at savage.love slash lovecast. And in addition to our longer ad-free shows, Magnum subs get to come to Sack Lunch, a monthly hangout with me and other Magnum subs. And Magnum subs also get S&P or Sex and Politics, a bonus podcast featuring long-form conversations interesting people. Our sale runs through June 30th for new subscribers. Check out Ryan O'Connell's new novel, Just By Looking At Him, which is out now, and Queer As Folk on Peacock, starring Ryan O'Connell and a bunch of other really amazing people. Follow Ryan on Instagram at Ryan O'Conn. You can follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. You can also follow me on Instagram at DanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.